I'm Felina Jean, and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011, and I have not looked back except at this ass, honey. Since then, I've lived on four continents with travel to over 40 countries. Along my journey, I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast to inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. I don't think people realize how much easier life um, can be outside of the United States. I mean, really, just barred my um, little temporary visa situation right now. Like, life is just so much easier. I went to go register um, my business this week and it was $14 to register my business. I pay $5 for really, really, really good meals. My weed is like three bucks. It costs $10 to clean my house. Telling y'all, life is better on the other side of that rat race for those that want to venture. And it's just good to be around Black people, doing business with Black people, not even having the stress that comes with being Black in America. But that, of course, does not mean you don't get tried out here. People try you all over the world. You gotta be woke out here bartering as an American because people will hear your accent and the prices will instantly and astronomically increase. So boom, let me tell you what happened. I had to hire a driver for the day and I negotiated a price beforehand and we agreed on the terms. Homegirl pulls up and she was like sizing me up. So I peeped game and I was like, okay, let me give her a rope to hang herself with and see how far she gonna go. So she's asking me all these pertinent questions about what I do and so forth and so on. And then boom, she was like, I think I'm gonna go up on a price. Like, girl, the f won't for 500, Alex. Matter of fact, how you say f your tip in Colson? But I didn't say that. I politely implored her to overstand. You can't change the rules of engagement in the middle of a contract. The point of the matter is, it's two different prices in these streets. The Western and American prices and the going rate. Stay woke. Other than that minor hiccup, this week was really good. I did a tarot reading on one of my favorite Jamaicans. Shout out to Kimberly Megan, fellow Black Broad Abroad. But let me tell y'all about my tribe. This chick accidentally butt-dialed me from her empty fifth grade classroom blasting Trina. I'm the baddest bitch in the background. All I hear is, little nasty hoe, red bone, but a classy hoe. And I'm like, you know what? And this is a professional Black girl at her finest. And you know she's a Jamaican from Miami with 5011 jobs, as all Jamaicans have. Medical builder, art teacher, writer, tutor, grad student, mom. She might possibly be able to do your taxes before April 15th. <laughs> Yo, follow Kimberly Megan on Instagram for a riot. So I'm actually really excited about this week's interview with Ashley Pope, Black Broad Abroad extraordinaire, honey. Uh, she is the founder of Saint and Center, a CBD company that has a social impact strategy and advocates for inclusion in the cannabis space. So stick around for that interview. But first... 
The Chinese city of Wuhan has been ravaged by the deadly coronavirus. Authorities have reported 15 new deaths in Wuhan, and the State Department has mandated that all U.S. workers at the U.S. consulate evacuate immediately. More than 400 new cases of the virus were diagnosed, bringing the total number impacted to 1,300. Travel restrictions in Wuhan and 12 other cities have been affected. I hope we're not on the precipice of another bubonic plague, child. Y'all stay safe out there in China. And these studs ain't loyal news. Lena Waithe and her wife, Alana Mayo, have split after just two months of announcing their marriage. Citing in a press release, after careful thought and consideration, we have decided to part ways. The rep goes on to say, we have nothing but support for one another and ask that you respect our privacy during this time. Not. There was always something like a bit fishy and disingenuous to me about that Lena. She got them cheating, squinty eyes. Y'all straight girls stay woke out there with these studs. Anyway, it's been reported that she's been carrying on an affair with the Nigerian chick that played Harriet Tubman, who was popping big shit about African-American women all on her Twitter feed and is yet again taking another African-American woman's part. Yeah, her. You know what, Alana? They deserve each other. Lena was out here tricking on Gucci and Chanel bags and buying IG Thoughts Rihanna Savage lingerie. Girl, bye. Studs be a whole four as a femme and an eight and a half after they cut their locks off and don't know how to act. Somebody on Twitter said Lena Wave got that community strap and that just seems to be the empirical facts of the matter. I wish for Alana total healing and restoration and some premium pipe from a real penis in her near future. Alana, holla at me if you want to get this root work popping. I just, not really. The families of Botham John, Antoine Rose, and DJ Henry have joined forces with Rock Nation and the NFL for the Responsibility Program. The initiative is aimed at driving awareness to police brutality. Botham John was shot in the heart in his own home by police officer Amber Geiger while eating ice cream and watching football in his home. Antoine Rose was a 17-year-old African-American young man who was fatally shot in East Pittsburgh. He was unarmed when he was shot. And DJ Henry, a Pace University football player was shot dead in Pleasantville, New York by an off-duty police officer. These stories are becoming like all too familiar. We are never going to persuade the hearts and minds of Caucasoids, ever. We've always been murdered and assaulted in plain sight from the plantations when we got off the boat to families coming to picnics to watch black men and black women be lynched. Y'all gotta understand, some behavior is just innate. It's in their DNA. Personally, I believe the video campaign is an exercise in futility. We've been begging it for 400 years to see our humanity. It's not gonna happen. But, you know, I'm a Pan-Africanist. I'm of the belief that the only place for black people to be free is in Africa. But the important thing is that the video is bringing solace to the family. And that's it for... Until next time. Ashley Pope's travel story does not begin with travel at all. Her story starts with an innate, inexplicable obsession for the so-called other. The first time she recalls being fascinated was in 1990, 
when she was five years old and an Afghani immigrant girl had just walked into her kindergarten classroom in a long red sari and headdress. Ashley was stunned and overtaken by curiosity. They later become best friends for the next five years. Her rabid fascination with children of other cultures would continue throughout elementary school. She deliberately add more immigrant children to her circle of friends. Ashley would hang out in after-school English second language classes just to get to know kids who she learned later on in life came as refugees escaping atrocities she could not yet imagine. At this tender age, Ashley was too young to feel pity, but rather complete fascination with, her, with their customs, language, and culture. In high school, Ashley was the founder of the Spanish Club and the president of the Alliance for Students for Cultural Awareness. At 15, her mom, a new age liberal, allowed her to go on a study abroad program that she found on the internet. It would be her first trip abroad. Now, 35 countries and 18 years later, she hasn't stopped exploring. At this juncture, current events shape the way that Ashley travels. Human rights, technology, indigenous culture, natural phenomena, and the arts influence the majority of her travel. She finds it way more interesting to go places where cultural shifts are happening, policy is being shaped, where people are gathering to proclaim their rights, where there is a cultural return of roots and the arts are exploding, where ideas are turned into companies and once in a lifetime natural phenomena occur. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you, Felina. I am incredibly happy, excited, a little nervous to talk about myself, but yeah, I, I appreciate nervous? you taking the time. Don't feel nervous. You are so, you are so interesting. So I have to give like just a bit of backstory about how I even became familiar with you. So are you like OG tribe? Like back in 2011, Avita um, Robinson um, started No Madness Travel Tribe, which has like since grown into this massive travel movement. But Ashley is an OG. And I remember just being so entranced by like what you were doing and all of your travels. I wasn't fascinated by that many people, child, but you were the one, like one of the ones that really stuck out. So I'm really excited to, um, to do this interview with you. So yeah, gonna- shout out to Anita. Like she's one of my longtime friends, one of my muses, one of my inspirations. Like recently we got a chance to go to Tulum. I think it was in September and I just got to be like with her one-on-one. Um, oh, but like the awesome. people that I met, yeah, like just to have Avita all to myself, that was amazing. Mm. Um, but yeah, Nomadis was just, it, it, you know, it's one of those one of those things like where you just did not feel lonely anymore as a black traveler. You know, exactly. like she created this thing where people, I found my tribe, and it literally is a tribe. Like you found black people who love to travel and all of a sudden I wasn't this weird kid hanging out with like, you know, immigrants from other countries. And yeah, yeah I just I wasn't, mean, I didn't feel And it was like, I mean, she actually, I really think she's responsible for spawning this black travel movement because uh, I think I, I was added to the group like October, 2011. There were like maybe like 50 people in the group at that time. And to see like where it's grown, it's just, it's absolutely um, amazing. But I have some, I have a whole host of questions for you. And I'm going to start with, um, in your social media profile, you describe yourself as a polyglot. Most people don't know what the fuck that is. So how many languages do you actually speak, Ms. Pope? So I'll tell you what the fuck that is. It is um, a person who speaks multiple languages. Um, Started up with Spanish when I was younger. Uh, Then I studied German in college. So those are the two that I'm working on now. Um, lived in Thailand for a little while, never picked up Thai. 
But I, I like, I, I have to say, like, I remember the moment I was probably about five years old. I was in Florida and, you know, there was, I was at the pool and I remember these two guys and I'm, I probably can assume now they were Cuban and they were speaking to each other. And I thought it was just the coolest thing. I, I just really was, I will never forget that moment where I understood the concept that people can use different words and communicate differently. And I could not understand it. And so after that moment, um, my dad bought me a Spanish dictionary and I remember him handing it to me. It's like a little small red Spanish dictionary. And I didn't use it to really like communicate with people. Like my sister and I would just learn the bad words and we would like just say shit and toilet and things that my mom would let us say in Spanish. At five? So like that was a, at five. That I love like, that. That's <laughs> how it started. It really did. Um, and yeah, like, you know, I would have these birthday parties when I was younger and I, like, and I didn't even really quite understand it then, but like a lot of the parents couldn't speak to each other. They came over as Cambodian refugees, refugees from Vietnam, and they would come and they would bring their kids and my mom could never communicate with them. But I, I like, I, obviously I communicate with the kids. So I had these birthday parties where the parents never really interacted, but the kids, we would just play, you know, I, I just was always fascinated by the other ever since I could remember. So where did you grow up? And, and what was your first exposure to international travel? Okay, so I grew up in North Carolina. And then um, my parents separated and I ended up going to Atlanta at about the age of 14. A year later, I, I couldn't, like, I, I didn't grow up rich. So, like, this is not, definitely not a story of privilege. But I couldn't afford to do a year-long program, some of the programs that were offered to high school students um, that I had found online. So it, it, these programs catered more to high school students. Like, you know, you knew where the kids were. You had a set school. I just found a language school in Puerto Rico where you could take classes. Just It was very simple. And I just I told my mom, I was like, you know, I want to go here and I want to study here for the summer and I, I want to learn Spanish. And I always was very willful. I was always very in school, but, but I was in school. I always did really well in school. But uh, I think my mom knew that I, she couldn't say no. So uh, she just let me go. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. She let me go. I went there. I had a great time. I was 15, drinking, doing all the fun stuff. Oh, party. Now you were drinking <laughs> in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Puerto Rico did it like it was Puerto Rico, so it really didn't. It yeah. really didn't matter. Um, you know, if you could order it, you could buy it. Uh, <laughs> I was like at clubs. I was just turning up, and so you know, my, I say this to say, like you know, my first trip anywhere was solo. So I have no problem going somewhere and being, you know, and being the new girl, in the, whether that's a classroom or a country. That's interesting. Yeah, solo solo travel was actually my favorite. So. Me too. There is there's so many ways to sustain yourself as a traveler. Can you talk about some of the ways that you've been able to fund your travel over the years? Okay, this is a good one. I, there, I've always come up with a scheme. I'm just like one of those people when I want something, that's just, I, I, like, I will have it. So one of the ways I did it was bartending. I knew I could make a lot of money. I knew that, like, you know, you could always come back to the job if you wanted to. And that, you know, it doesn't take a lot to live in other places. So you could save up a couple thousand dollars and be in Guatemala four or five months. Mm -hmm. The second way I did it, when I went to Thailand, um, I always liked to notice cultural shifts. And this was right when Airbnb was getting started. And I knew people were going to Thailand and loving it. And this was around 2014. And I realized that, yeah, I realized, that, you know, that people would rent from a foreigner, like, or from a person who spoke English, like people coming in from the States. I could charge them a crazy price for my apartment. So I got a really nice apartment and I could live off the profit that I made 
from Airbnb. And so I lived in Asia a year doing Airbnb for my really nice apartment. I think it was like four or $500 a month. And like, I was charging like a thousand dollars. Oh, just yes. You are a very right early there. adapter of Airbnb. Yeah. I was like, I saw the opportunity, the same thing I did in Atlanta. I realized like, you know, when I was living in Atlanta, I realized the old fourth ward was becoming like the place to be. And I was still only paying $800 in rent. And then I realized I could Airbnb my apartment and go live in another country. So I took advantage of that for as long as I could. Yeah, I'm pretty crafty. <laughs> what countries have you actually lived in? So I've lived in Thailand. I've spent a long time in Guatemala and Cambodia. I've lived in Germany because I studied there. Um, I'm in, currently in Mexico. I lived in Nicaragua. Like uh, they just had a revolution last year. So that's how I kind of wound up in uh, Mexico. But I had planned to spend the next few years in Nicaragua, actually. But it's funny how things like, you know, hey, yeah. Yeah, that same kind of thing happened in the in Qatar when I was there. It was a huge geopolitical crisis, and it was like, okay, girl, what you about to do? <laughs> yeah, but you know, my boyfriend had to pry me away because I was like, I'm staying with the people, and you know, like we have to stand up and protest and revolution. We had gotten a house on a lake. We had bought this FJ truck, and you know, we were settled. We were, you know, living twelve hundred dollars. We had two houses. Um, on a lake, really nice property, fully furnished, kayaks, a, a oh, wow. beautiful truck, my whole dream. And I, I was like, I'm not about to let my dream die for a revolution. And it, it's so like <laughs> silly to say it, it really is. And so he was like, no, you are, we're leaving. And so we went to Mexico City. And, and honestly, I really thought that, uh, I just thought I knew what Mexico was. I thought it would be like margaritas and sombreros. And I was like, whatever, everybody goes to Mexico City or Mexico. I got to Mexico City and I just, I think I was just undone at first. I just could not believe that this was two and a half hours away, three hours away from Atlanta and the plane. And, you know, 34 countries later, I had, nobody had told me how wonderful this place was. Wow. It's like living in New York. Yeah, it just, it's, it's incredible. Like it just, it's bursting with creativity, art, beauty, food. And, you know, you're getting, it's it just, it's cosmopolitan. It's a world city and yeah, it's affordable. We, um, I interviewed um, Claire of Up in the Air Life. I'm sure you know Claire and she's also living in Mexico. Yeah. And, you know, I, it was never, it's never been on my radar. I'm from California. Um, so obviously like, you know, we go like our TJ runs and shit on the weekend, but it's, it never occurred to me as a place to like, to visit or even live. But like, you guys are like shifting my whole, um, my bias. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, like, I had a severe bias against coming here. I mean, I was kicking and screaming when I left Nicaragua, you know, like, you could not have like dragged me out of Central America. I just loved Nicaragua and Guatemala. But Mexico is deep, man. It's it's just, it's old, it's deep. The culture is profound. Um, it's more than, you know, tequila and margaritas and beaches. Like people, there's, there's this is this wisdom here that only comes when a country is old. Like, you know, when you think about India, the Africa's and the, the, the the original places, right? And these original right. cultures. Um, you just, you know, America's a new place. You know, we're just kind of like learning to walk, right? When you, and yeah, you go to somewhere true. like, you know, it's very true. I, I have this really great friend from India and he always kind of talks about, you know, the comparison between the West and India. He was like, you know, you guys are just still learning, you know, he kind of treats us like. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a really beautiful way to put it because that's that's exactly what it is. Like, you know, we, we're kind of, we still are obsessed with things and, you know, we're, when you go to other places, people really have this emphasis on family and age. You know, we're so busy, you know, trying to look younger and hold on to our youth. And there's a lot of these ancient and indigenous cultures, age is such a, uh, a has such value, you know, like, because you, there's, there's only there's things that you can only learn through experience, right? Well, age is something. I mean, I want to grow old, but with some Phyllis child. So maybe that's <laughs> just... <laughs> I'm, I'm not even like, I, like, you can get your retin-A here. I have it on, you know, like I'm just aging backwards. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Like I'm still very, very green. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that your parents are both like new age liberals um, that encourage your exploration at a very early age. How have your views on spirituality and religion expanded as a result of your upbringing and your travel? I think, you know, my mom was always an experimenter. Like, you know, one week we were with the Nation of Islam, the next week you know, we were like reading some Hindu scriptures for bedtime stories. My mom, whatever, like floated her boat that week was just, that's what we were. And she just always encouraged an open mind. Like I, can, I can't, I, I look at it and I think, you know, it's normal. But when I hear like somebody's like parents are making their kids believe this or making their kids believe that, I, I, to me it is borderline abusive. You know, I was always just <laughs> straight up I look at somebody and they're like you know I had to do this on Sunday and I'm like whoa you know like <laughs> but I've grown and I've learned I think that people you know they do the best they can and everybody wants the best for their children and so I've become more compassionate around religion mm-hmm. but yeah like you know growing up my mom we were just taught to explore like it may be almost to a fault you know mm-hmm. um it, it kind of I kind of grew up without attachments so I just you know whatever I'm enthusiastic today might not be what I'm passionate about tomorrow. You just never know. And I, I kind of like being able to just change my mind. I, I can change my mind really easily. Are you guilt. a Pisces or a Sagittarius by any chance? Listen, I'm Sagittarius. My mom is Pisces. <laughs> oh my gosh. I fucking knew it. <laughs> yeah, I'm super That's like, like, like hot telepathy right there, yo. <laughs> I was raised by Pisces mom and Sagittarius. I just did whatever I wanted to do. How have you experienced spirituality in a different context in your travels? People always ask me, you know, what's my favorite place in the world? And I have to say, like, my favorite trip was ayahuasca. <laughs> I did, oh, like, me too. <laughs> that, was the, that was the best trip I've ever taken. And I actually did it with my parents. And my parents, Hold on, not, wait, like, we have to qualify what ayahuasca is because everyone doesn't know. So um, ayahuasca this is, is a DMT, um, so-called drug, but it's, it's, it's like a plant and a vine combined that could be found it's found in the Amazon rainforest and it's like brewed into a tea and you know you have this very transcendental um, experience usually you do it with a shaman uh, but there's different contexts but continue this wanted people to know what ayahuasca is I like I definitely did it with a shaman and if you I would never recommend not doing it with a shaman um, this is there's nothing recreational about ayahuasca it is no, nine hours. That's true. Nothing. Like, but it's like, no it's nine hours or more, but 
I mean, you really understand that that time is really an illusion because it's like also oh, yeah. a thousand years and a million yeah. years at the same time as being nine hours. I could have woken up 95 years old and I would have never known. You know, like that's like time, it just, time is absolutely an illusion. So you but did it, it with yeah, your it's just, it's, I did it with my parents. The first two times I did it and I actually couldn't purge because I, I think I'm just like, obviously like life is not perfect. I had some blocks. And I just couldn't, I, it was very pretty and it was nice and it was very loving experience. But, you know, afterwards I was like, if this is so beautiful and this is such a wonderful experience, why would I not share this with my parents? You know, why would I, you know, somehow think it's taboo or not invite my parents or keep it from them? So I just told my mom who was absolutely ready. She was like bags packed and she actually has done it more times than me now. So she does it like just all the time. Where were you um, guys? My, we were actually in the mountains of Georgia. So there was a Peruvian shaman who came up from Peru. Um, so he conducts them uh, in, in Georgia. And so I actually did it there. And honestly, it, you know, as much as I had this fantasy about doing it in, in Peru or Colombia, it, it, I guess like it, at the time it, it, ayahuasca finds you, you know, it, does. it was my time. It, it does. Finds you. It finds you. Yeah. You know, I was first introduced to the idea of ayahuasca when I was living in Brazil in 2011 and it wasn't my time. And like fast forward, like 2016, I was, I was going through some shit and I was angry. I was an angry bitch. Whew, I can own that shit now. I was an angry bitch. And it started calling me. me I did it. <laughs> yeah. That's how it found me. That's how it found me. I did it in, um, I did it in Den Haag in the Netherlands the first time uh, at a church, wow. Church of Santo Daimi. So I didn't do it in like a traditional context, like, you know, uh, in Brazil or Peru or something, but continue with your story. So ayahuasca found you. It found me. And then I, at this time, you know, I, I like, my parents weren't even really speaking. So, and it was always this, and I never thought they would speak. And I was fine with that. I thought they just like, they needed to be separate people. Um, and so I didn't do it because necessarily that I wanted them to have some sort of revelation, but it, but it was also when, when they did it, I was actually able to purge for the first time. I needed to have them there. That was the healing that I needed. They had to be there. And, and so they did it. And, after, and to this day, now they talk to their friends. Like you wouldn't, have, if you had told me this, you know, 10 years ago that my parents would be calling each other. Wow. I would like, I, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was healing. It was healing for our family. And so when people use this, like they throw around this term drug, it's usually people say drugs and it's like, they, they literally just don't know what they're talking about. It's right? not they a drug. It's literally like a plant in a vine. They call it the God. What do they call it? The God molecule. I met God. I mean, I, you know, I've always had a, you know, um, a relationship with God, but I met God, I'm, you know, and God is everything is what I learned. I mean, I met my ancestors who I was in another life. I met my children that have departed I died, I came mm. back to life. It was crazy. I'm molecularly not the same human being as a result. Not. Absolutely. Like, I absolutely agree. Like, you know, and I was just, that's just what I was saying. It's not a drug. Drugs are fun. You go out, you, know, you turn up. Ayahuasca is, is, is the truth. And I think a lot of us, like, it, you know, when you're, when you see, like, when you have, when you experience God in this way, it's not like you come down and like you're this holy person. I think a lot of after it, I was PTSD about it. Because yeah. now you know. And it's now what do you, you know. do now. Yeah, yeah. Now you know and what do you do. Um, 
And what do you do with that knowledge that you just obtained? And so it's, that's, and that's you know, hard too, to like reach those certain levels, know that it's there, know that these parallels exist, and then to have to sort of come back to this reality and reconcile those two things. Yeah, and you know, um, I, yeah, I, oh, go ahead. <clears throat> no, no, go ahead. Um, I felt like my, um, God just pointed out my faults in just the most loving way. Like, this is who you've heard, you know? And I mean, I saw those people and I saw the despair and like, you know, um, just some of the shit that I caused in people's life because I hadn't dealt with my own shit. Uh, But like, like you said, like coming out of it, it's like, then you deal with your shit. Right. (laughs) Now you have to deal with it. Now you deal with it. I made a lot of apologies. (laughs) Right. Like definitely, yeah. Like it's definitely work to be done afterwards. And I guess you know it's kind of like it gives you your homework assignment. You know, like this is what you need to be working on. Um, so the third yeah, like, time you did it, what happened the third time? Well, the third time was actually with my parents. The first two times, oh, it was okay. just it was loving and it was you know great. And I, I, you know, I've had I've seen people who have had some terrifying experiences. And I'll say that it was terrifying in like the greatest sense of the term right so it was it was everything it was, it was good it was bad it was beautiful and it was you know it was just all of those things that you come in at once um but yeah so I, I did that three times and I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm due for another one but I've done it twice like I'm not really compelled to I mean I would do it again but I'm not compelled mm-hmm. to do it um I mean I could do it every few years or so the the second time for me was not as intense, but I always meet my ancestors when I'm like under these influences. So you actually advocate for the use of psychedelics and you have been cited in saying it doesn't change you, it reveals you. And one of your funny travel stories include being on LSD at the Vatican. Would you clear to <laughs> expound why you was uh, on dope uh, where the Pope live at? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not supposed to use a preposition at the end of a sentence, but yes. I, you know, like, I did it because I thought it would be cool, and I was with my best friend, and, like, we would just, you know, let's make this as interesting as possible. I have to say, like, I, I, I didn't feel... It was nice to like kind of get the visuals and like to, to do the L in the in the place, but it, like I didn't I don't feel a particular connection to the Catholic Church, and so no disrespect to people. Yeah, who are no. no. <laughs> I get the pet out of my mind, like you know I just like it. It was it was it was beautiful in the sense that the art was beautiful, but I like I don't have this reverence for Catholicism that right. made the made the experience particularly profound. It was just something we wanted to do, kind of recorded. That's like, that's a story you have to tell your grandchildren, like, that one time I was on LSD at the Vatican. (laughs) Like, that should be the, that should be the first line of your memoir. (laughs) Right? I did it there. Um, and I always think, I always say that too. Like I'm, I'm making stories for the grandkids. Like, what are you going to tell like the next generation? Like what's, what's your legacy going to look like? And I think mine will be just one of wonder and adventure and that's my goal that's absolutely my goal i always say like you know when when people write their obituaries you know like when you or your obituary gets written right um people they don't talk you don't mention like you know your airbnb how nice it was when you were in cancun you know you talk about the place and how it's changed yeah. you and the things you yeah yeah this i have this very sensitivity to where i am so you know leaving the united states 
for me was was never people you know we, you talk a lot about the you're leaving your comfort zone I never found anything comfortable about like working two jobs and like paying high ass rent and, oh like, my god I know right <laughs> that's <laughs> like, I don't I, I don't get what people are holding on to like I literally don't and I, I but I have to always have compassion because people are like you know they, they kind of grow up with this notion of afraid of the other and I literally started at you know five fifteen years old um yeah. traveling solo so I don't have this I I don't have this idealized version of the United States I don't like I don't think that it's the best country in the world and I never have so I've never had to fight those um I never had to fight that uh, fear I have a fear of being in the United States forever like that's Girl. when like depression yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's actually a whole other episode because I've tried reentry twice in the past nine years and it is not good for my mental health. I I mean I have panic attacks, real life panic attacks upon arrival. Uh, right. Yeah, it's anyway, that's a whole other episode. So definitely <laughs> Okay, we're both we're both stoners. Uh I think that's I think that's understood. I, think I smoke. I don't really, my boyfriend would never say that I'm a stoner because I, I don't know enough about like, you know, like he, he's a connoisseur, you know, he knows all about the plant and, you know, he smokes good shit. You know, I was like smoking mids when he met me. So like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I like to smoke. I, I do. I enjoy smoking. Um, I probably am more of a psychonaut is what you call him. I'm more like, I, oh, like, I enjoy okay. But like, don't get me wrong. Like, I've been smoking, you know, for a long, long time. Just to put it that way. Um, I will smoke. I have no problem smoking. Um, okay, so yeah. I'm a stoner. <laughs> I'll own that. Stoner. So, but my question is like, which which countries have you had? Like, if even if it's not weed, like, what which countries have you had like the best? Um, I don't like to say drugs, but you know, the best shit. <laughs> the best stuff. Um, yeah. I, you know this. This is gonna sound weird, but like the U.S., we make we have like some of the best weed. Maybe oh, like Holland. Yeah, I'm from L.A. Nobody has yeah. better weed than L.A. That's yeah. like hands down. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere else. yeah. Although, although I do get like good stuff in Mexico. Like it's you know in Mexico, one of the great things about it is like it's so professional. Like they send you a menu, the delivery oh. service. Like, outside oh. of never being on time. You know, yeah, it's really like, it's very professionally kind of done, but people are nice. You know, I'm used to arguing with drug dealers, like having to relay stuff. No, here it's like very, uh, I don't know, it's just very, it's just, it's like, a, you just order it. Some people even have like applications where you can order it. Like, Speaking of medicinal marijuana, you, you are an evangelist of CBD products now, um, to the extent that you recently launched a new CBD business called Saint and Center. I really love that name, by the way. Um, what was the impetus behind your newest venture? So it started because my, you know, all, everything always kind of starts because of the people who are around you and influence you. And my boyfriend is just, he, like, he smokes and he loves the plant. He loves the plant. And so he wanted to start the CBD company. And sort of where I came in, I obviously wanted to help him. I, like, I love entrepreneurship and I love supporting entrepreneurs. And so I decided to help him. My, I came in wanting to work on the social impact strategy. I think that people should have the right to put whatever they want to put in their bodies. As long as they're not flying a plane or driving a bus, I think it's a constitutional right. You should be able to smoke with you what you want. 
But it sucks that what you have now is a cannabis industry, like particularly CBD, a lot of these companies that are geared toward, you know, white women and yoga, and nobody says anything about the people sitting in jail for marijuana, you know, and, and it extends so deep, you know, cannabis laws and the inequities. You know, when you have a conviction, like you're not, you can't access housing if you're in any kind of housing program, you, like, or an apartment, you have a criminal conviction on your record, you, um, you know, you're not eligible to receive any kind of social safety nets. And that, so that means not only that you can't sort of provide for your family because you, getting a job is difficult, but your kids suffer. And so it, it, you know, it's a problem when you can, like, you know, you have cannabis being traded in, you know, in stocks, like it's, you know, a million dollar industry. And then you have people sitting in jail. So the thing was, was that when he started the company, I was like, I don't want to help you do this unless you have an impact strategy, unless we are really sort of a plan to like address through our company, um, the inequities and the laws. And so we started working with a nonprofit in Georgia called Reform Georgia. And FYI, Georgia has one of the highest incarceration rates in the world. So um, hemp is legal federally. Um, and so I wanted to sort of start this company with the aspiration that we would be setting the standard for what cannabis companies and what CBD companies should be doing and talking about, you know, in all their branding and selling that we can't, we can't forget the people who are losing their livelihoods for the same plant that people are making millions of dollars from. Hmm. So that's where I came in. So I'm sort of part owner. Um, yeah, we do have a farm in Georgia too. So we'll be completely seed to shelf oh, in a few that's weeks. So yeah. dope. Yes. Yeah. Completely seed to shelf. Controlling so the means our- of production. <laughs> Capital. Yes, ma'am. That is the I name of the game. I love that. So, um, okay. One of the other questions that um, I have for you. Okay, you have this funny story about hanging out with Cambodian deportees and it, it brings to mind like some of the vast differences that exist between tourists who like, and there's nothing wrong with it, you know, who like their Mai Tais at the resort and their cruise ships and hop on hop, hop off buses versus those like who are travelers and prefer like a more immersive cultural experience. So I kind of want you to share the story about the deportees and then if you could share like what do you think the importance is of having immersive experiences when you travel and like getting up off the resort in other words. Oh god, I like, one, one of the things I want to say is that like you know we have this culture where we see people on social media and they're on the beach and we're like you know I want that life. And a lot of times those same people I'll meet them and like they've never spoken a word of Spanish, they've never left the resort, they did everything for the gram. And there's nothing inherently noble about traveling somewhere. Like anybody can do it. Um, any, a lot of the Western countries, we have the privilege of being able to go anywhere we want for the most part. So, you know, there's something that's missed about traveling. And one of those things is that immersion and the people you meet. One of the things I got to do in Cambodia, um, we actually went to Cambodia for a while because Bangkok was like really intense when we were living there. And so you need to like leave Bangkok before you party yourself to death. <laughs> and we would just hang out with Cambodia. We rented this house there. We met a lot of the people who were deported um, from California, Modesto. I know you know, like, oh, you know, the yeah. Southeast Asian. Yeah, like a lot of those guys who came and they were, in, you know, they, they live in Cambodia and they, had, they came as refugees, as children, never got their paperwork together. They committed a crime because a lot of times they were placed in like, you know, neighborhoods that were undesirable. So they joined gangs and they did gang shit. They went back. 
And so they get deported back to this place that they don't know. And Cambodia is, you know, you talk about Thailand is nice. Cambodia is like, it's poor, poor, you know, like it's not, um, it, it has a lot more issues in a lot of countries that we usually think about when, think about when we're thinking about Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. You have this group of guys in their hood, you know, in their hood and they're in the village. A lot of them, you know, struggle with trying to, they're, a, they're a, sort of a pariah sort of in there in Cambodia because you kind of, you had this chance to go to the United States and you fucked up and now you're back. Um, so they're not really accepted in Cambodia and in, in Cambodia itself, but and they have no means to survive, to survive. Their families are poor, you know, like in the United States, you know, they're still in the hood. So they, a lot of them wind up committing suicide, you know? Oh, wow. They're, they don't want to be there, you know? And they're not there on vacation, <laughs> you know? They wow. have, there's no grocery store to go to. They have to learn how to do things like, you know, kill a chicken or you, things they, they've never thought they had to do. And these are like guys who like have been banging for the past 10 years. Yeah, you know, Cambo- well, California uh, has a, you know, prolific gang culture. It's gangsters of every culture, but Cambodian gangsters, just like niggas in California, <laughs> believe that. I could imagine that's like, that's a huge culture shock. Huge culture yeah, shock. And they don't, a lot of times they don't just mentally, they don't mentally survive. And so, but for me, it was like, you know, a piece of home. I could relate to them. We could, they spoke English, right? We could put on Dre, you know, like, and, you know, <laughs> listen, and we'd be in these villages, like with the speakers turned up, just like heads bobbing, turned up, you know, drinking beer. And I would do little things like them. Like my boyfriend would do little things like buy them a pizza because they, they couldn't afford to buy themselves, you know, pizza and things like that. Like things that they really missed. Um, and just hanging out with them and just realizing that like our presence was so appreciated. And I, I, you, you don't read that in a guidebook, you know, like you didn't plan to go there. You didn't like, that wasn't a tour. That was just being out there and living and talking to people, being observant. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's really the point of travel. And a lot of that is not captured in a photo. I can't get a picture of you and know who you are no more than I can take a picture of Mexico, a beach, and you know who Mexico is. Right. right? And so, yeah, and I think the lo- social media kind of subverts what travel can be about. I, I won't say like it, it has to be about immersion because I'm, I'm trying to be more compassionate about that. Everybody doesn't, everybody ain't yeah. built for immersion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying not to like, you know, I'm not judging it, you know what I mean? But like one of the, that's one of the reasons I'm actually doing a podcast because, you know, I'm low key as fuck. <laughs> like, super <You> <laughs> Yeah, I'm super low-key. Like, I don't really have a huge social media presence. I'm going to have to get better with that, with this podcast. But, like, you know, people always ask, like, well, why don't you post more pictures? I'm like, there's, like, tons of influencers that you can go to if you want to see, like, pictures for the gram. I'm just, it's it's not my comfort zone. But I have another question because this show is about um, encouraging Black women who are maybe thinking about becoming expats. Like, what advice would you give? Um, what advice would you give to any woman out there that might be interested in like leaving their home country? I think, like, you know, to really start thinking about what story you want to be told about you. And if you don't have the story that you want to be told about yourself, if you're not in a place where that, that inspires you and that and kind of encourages you to explore and craft and create your identity. That's important. And uh, a lot of people, you know, they kind of like, they, they stay kind of in the same place because that's just what they've seen. But 
really starting to get in front of your own narrative. The second thing I would say is, you know, life is easier in a lot of places. And it's not because, you know, necessarily like you can come to Mexico and get a great job. It's the fact that you have the ability to make dollars. And that is a really important concept for people to understand yes. is that, you know, $1 is 20 pesos. Exactly. So, you know, so, and there's things that you can have here that you can't have in the United States. Like I don't have to think about cleaning my home, you know, like, because it's $20 here. And that's actually a lot, you know, that I, I can't, I, I like to pay a lot. Like, yeah, well, mine is ten. It's ten dollars. See, <laughs> and that's usually what it is about, right? And but so you know, there's things that you can take off your plate. Um, I know this one couple, and the black couple. They're a black couple from New York, and they they're they're having their baby here. Or they had their baby actually, and they like they can have a nanny. You know, like there's it's easier to raise your kids. One person can stay home. They can live on one income. Um. Uber is $2 in Mexico City. I don't have to think about like if I can afford to go somewhere, you know, because I can make dollars and I can spend pesos. And so life can be a lot easier. I can create more because my mental energy isn't spent on, you know, the two jobs that I hate that I'm working, the 60, 70 hours a week that I'm working. You know, I can go out, I can go out to eat and it's just like something doesn't have to suffer because of it. You can travel, you know, around Central America really easily because everybody, every other place is just as cheap. Um, it's, we have to get away from this idea that the United States is this end-all, be-all because that's just the that's just the lie that was sold to us. It's just not everything. There's an entire world out here, and if you are struggling and you know if you are looking for a new opportunity, there's you know you have the entire world. It's just not where you are or your hometown or your state. Um, it's a plane. Like, it's so easy now. You can just go and just buy the plane ticket online. It's one click buy, you know, and it, people live here too, just that they live anywhere else. You don't have to think that it takes something special. There's nothing special. I just bought the ticket, you know, um, simple as that. Airbnb now, you know, you can have a home as soon as you land. <laughs> I know, right? Airbnb was like uh, just game changing, game changing. <laughs> in so many ways to make money as a traveler. I mean, it's, that's a whole other episode too, how to make money on, um, on Airbnb. Um, you did mention that one of the things that seemed to motivate you as a traveler is arts, culture, and technology. And you've seemed to combine these themes when you launched your startup, Nomadic Nation. That was a few years ago too. So can you tell us a bit more about your company and, and what, it's, what inspired you to create the platform? So, uh, so at first I was kind of doing the same thing that everybody else was doing. And I think it was like 2013 when I started Nomadic Nation, somewhere around that time. And it was just a blog and it was like, you know, the top five restaurants that you can visit in, you know, Badambang, Cambodia. And that was cool for a while. And then kind of everyone started doing it. And then it, it just, I felt like something was just missed about what traveling was all about. Like you're not traveling. Like, yeah, you want to eat well, but you're not, that's not, that's not the, that's such a small, minute part of traveling is uh, where you eat. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it seems so silly now. Just to even say it. It's just like where you eat. You know, like there's so much more to you know traveling. It's the people you meet. Um, and so I started. I, I I felt like not that I necessarily wanted to be rooted, but I really wanted to know a place. And I think traveling and living somewhere are two different experiences. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. It's just it's just a two different. And to see people move here, especially like a lot of the creatives that are coming from LA and New York, coming to Mexico City, because now they have time 
to work on their craft. Um, and what they're creating these other places in, in, this, in this different kind of context. And you're able to kind of take this inspiration and create something much more deeper and profound. Not only like um, what you're learning, you know, just kind of intellectually, but like what you're learning about yourself. Um, so the idea behind Imagination first started out but with a, with a, as a travel blog. And then I just kind of stopped doing it. Um, I didn't know what I wanted it to be. And as I've worked in tech and as I've worked and as I've lived in Mexico City and as I've kind of, as kind of, I've kind of met these creatives, these creative expats who are like making waves in Mexico City and just shout out one of them, Minmay. She's this black girl who lives in Mexico City, black woman, black queen. Um, who is in Mexico City. She's a cannabis advocate, uh, one of the hosts for Broccoli Mag. And she had this event that was a human rights event. And I remember just walking in there and thinking like, this is exactly who I am. This is a human rights event. This is an Afro-Latino dinner, art gallery. There's free pre-roll so you could smoke while you eat. And it was just this, this, it was just this great expression of her and, it, and where she was living. And it was a who's who of Mexico City and how she just sort of carved out her identity in this place that was not her home, but that she has made her home. And th these are the stories that are most interesting to me now. And so Nomadic Nation was really born out of that idea. Um, and tech being that a way to kind of facilitate these changes faster in development and economic development in the places you visit. Everybody wants to be impactful. And tech is one of those ways that we can actually accomplish that now. So Nomadic Nation is a travel and culture streetwear company. And what the goal is that we would, we're working with artists around the world designing drops, so graphic apparel specifically aimed at travelers, expats, creative expats, um, the clothing line, and each drop features a certain country. Oh. So you don't know what's gonna, Yeah, each drop features a certain, you don't know what's gonna drop, and it's once a month and it comes to your email. So, you know, you have the option to either buy it or you don't, but the, the idea is that you kind of get this really, this design by this incredible artist in this incredible, in some incredible place in the world. And um, you can wear it, you know, and you can wear it, you can talk about it, and you can sort of get a deeper narrative on, the, on, on places around the world. And also, we're also working with uh, tech companies, like social impact tech companies, to help them raise money for whatever they're working on in whatever particular place that we're featuring for the month. So it has this sort of social impact uh, component to it. There's this streetwear, fashion, creative component to it. And it's also helping you to kind of discover, you know, other art artists in other in these other countries. So what is the biggest lesson that you've learned about stepping outside of your comfort zone? I have to say, like, this idea of wonder, um, not wonder, but wonder, to just always be fascinated by everything that's around you and learning to find fascination. I think learning something you didn't know, experiencing something you didn't know existed is, is like, is that's living, right? Um, and we, a lot of times we get stuck in our routines and I even, that happened to me. I was in Atlanta for a few years and I became incredibly depressed because I was just missing that wonder in my life. And eventually I just moved to Nicaragua. I sold everything it's so funny I was like hanging on to everything too I was like oh let's put it in storage just in case we come back and then all this stuff that I kept I never had like once thought about it um yeah travel is a wondrous undertaking you know you have the opportunity to learn to be confronted to be challenged and that kind of shapes you you don't really know who you are until you are confronted like you don't know what you believe until you're with somebody who believes something different um, and you don't know what you don't know 
until you're confronted with what you don't know. So you have to always be kind of seeking those things. And luckily we have the privilege to do it. Like, you know, having a U.S. passport is nothing short of a privilege. You didn't. Oh my gosh. It, yeah. It's a privilege. It it's a shame that people don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a privilege. There's nowhere we can. I think like with exceptions like Iran, um, and you can still do tours, I think, through Iran. Um, we can go anywhere. So that means you can discover anything. It's like having like, we have an access to an, the, an internet that people don't have access to, you know? Oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And so few yeah. of us have passports. I think it's something like less than 30% of the population. It's the, the numbers are really low. Uh, have an actual passport. Um, so where can people find you on social media, your websites? Where can people find more about your ventures and follow you on social media? Okay, so we have saintcenter.com. Definitely you can find our CBD products there. I am at Ash Nomadic with a K, so it's A-S-H-N-O-M-A-D-I-K on Instagram. And I'll be posting a lot more on like you. Like I, I've been so low key, but... I, th- I, w- I was traveling before Instagram, so it didn't seem like a necessary part of traveling. <laughs> but now we're having to build this web presence. Um, and then Nomadic Nation. So Nomadic with a K, N-O-M-A-D-I-K, nation.com. Thank you so much, Ashley. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I love this podcast. This, what you're doing is, is God's work. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Look, I mean, it's just like, man, like, I feel like, you know, I've met so many amazing Black women these this mm-hmm. past decade of just, like, living overseas, and you are certainly among, <laughs> among them. Just, I want to encourage everyone who's listening to get out there, to explore the world. It's cheaper to live on the beach than it is in Atlanta. That's what they don't tell you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ashley. I got a I got a testimony on this good Sunday. Amen. My 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 sister asked me mm-hmm. um for a dollar. And and see the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. So I gave that dollar and I didn't even ask questions. Hallelujah. I didn't I didn't say you can borrow it. I didn't ask for it back. So she took that same dollar uh-huh. and, 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 and went on down to the corner store. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, she, she got a, 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 a what is it, a, a, a gang silver, oh, a, a pack of gauze with that dollar. She, on, she came back Amen. and smoked that blunt with me. Amen. Remember you in prayer. Anyone else have a word from the Lord, a testimony of God's goodness? I've got a word from the Lord on today. I believe it was William Shakespeare who said, to thine own self be true, or more eloquently stated, be who you is. Because if you be who you ain't, you ain't who you is. And my favorite Jamaican, Kimberly Megan, reminded me of that with her butt bow from her classroom banging Trina in the middle of her workday. There are going to be times when people don't get you, they don't like you, or otherwise hate your dirty draws. But the fact remains that you have to do what feeds your soul. And seven out of 10 of the people might not like it, but so what? So what? Some folk like Tootsie Rolls, others like Godiva's. You ain't supposed to be for everybody. You gonna be too much or too little for people sometimes. But don't betray yourself to appease the ubiquitous they. It's even gonna be people that you love and that love you and who are presumably well-intentioned that just don't get you. 
and that you might have to distance or eliminate from your life in order to, to reach your greater good. It's about knowing who you are. Like, really knowing who you are. Flaws, foibles, and all. It took some time, but like at 36, I know exactly who the fuck I am. As the great brother prophet Nip spake, I'm prolific, so gifted. I'm the type that's gonna go get it, no kidding. I'm a tray line baby from South Central LA that came on my mama's poom poom feet first. Trained to go. My daddy, who's both a G and a genius, raised me. I'm a high school dropout with a GED and a master's degree. I will bless you and curse you at the same damn time. I'm loyal to the soil. I'm a bruja. I'm a practicing root woman. New Orleans and Haiti pulses through my DNA. I'm a pan-Africanist and a pansexual. And I fully intend on growing into a bad and beat octogenarian bitch talking cash shit and listening to my sugar free. Hopefully not still smoking Virginia Slims. Today I invite you to also be who you is in all of your glory and your shortcomings. God bless.